0: Tourney Talk is brought to you by T-Mobile. This baseball season, T-Mobile customers can get a free season-long subscription to MLB.tv Premium. Sign up by April 10th at T-Mobile.com MLB. Or sign up for MLB.tv while on T-Mobile's network. We're also brought to you by Harry's Razors. Superior razors shipped straight to your door at half the drugstore price. Get $5 off your first order with the code TURNEYTALK at Harry's.com. We're also brought to you by FanDuel. Now that baseball is back, you can try the fun and competition of daily fantasy risk-free for up to 10 bucks. Go to FanDuel.com and enter the code TURNEYTALK. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to one more, possibly final edition of Tourney Talk. I'm your host, SI.com college basketball editor Ted Keith. And joining me from Houston, site of a thrilling national championship game between Villanova and North Carolina, is SI.com college basketball producer David Gardner. David, uh, welcome back to the uh, Tourney Talk podcast. Heck of a night to uh, put a bow on this tournament, huh?
1: It was quite a night to be in Houston. Uh, You may be able to hear people uh, just wrapping up, packing up this stadium right here. It is just, people are walking around with disbelief and also a sense of gratitude for having seen this game live. I mean, that was one of the most phenomenal finishes of a championship game across sports. Not even in the NCAA tournament, which is you know, known for being electric and being surprising and being great like this. This was just one of those things where you'll remember that you were here your whole life.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, now you were there. So everyone I'm sure has already seen it and will see it for the rest of eternity. It's one of the incredible sequences in the history of college basketball that will immediately take its place among the great, uh, finishes, the great moments in, in sports history, not just basketball history. Um, The one that will, of course, be remembered forever is uh, Chris Jenkins' buzzer-beating three for Villanova that wins the national championship, 77-74. And right before that, a shot that would have been legendary, even if all it had done was force overtime, uh, which was Marcus Page's leaning, double-clutching, off-balance three-pointer that tied the game at 74. So that's what happened. Uh, Everyone like me who saw it on television could be amazed. Tell us what it was like in the arena Uh, On those two shots and sort of the immediate aftermath. What was the the vibe in the arena like
1: I? Mean even before then with Marcus Page just kind of doing these circus show shots I mean he was defying the laws of physics a few times as he was making you know the put-back layup attempt that he had these shots the shot that you mentioned which would have been a one shining moment for sure because it was an off-balance shot where he readjusted in the air and then sunk a three-pointer Uh, It was funny because there were these cushions that everybody got that had the Final Four logo on them. They were orange. And towards the end of the game, when this thing started heating up, uh, Villanova fans and North Carolina fans, alternatingly, were throwing them up in the air. And you actually had to dodge them. One hit a computer of a guy who was working right next to me. And just people were in stunned disbelief. When Marcus Page hit that shot, you saw it was probably a little bit more heavily North Carolina fans here than Villanova. And these fans were just going insane and then four seconds left you see this play develop so quickly it turns out that villanova has this play in their back pocket of all at all times and it's called nova of all things which is incredible uh, and you just see the villanova fans lose their minds i actually thought i was sitting right behind the villanova student section and they looked like they were trying to rush the court which you'd have to huh. jump onto the court to do it but they were honestly trying to rush the court they had to be held back by barriers and security guards
0: wow that well if ever there was a moment to rush the court that would be it um and a truly remarkable championship game before we get too far uh you know bogged down in this and and this is the rare tourney talk podcast where there's there's no more games to set up. There's no more um, season to talk about, no more tourney to talk about, so we can focus all of our attention on this game, which truly deserves it. Um, l- let's keep going a little bit with the uh, with the end-of-game sequence. I, I mean, I'll say this quickly. I think Villanova was the better team throughout the game and deserved to win. In fact, when they were up by 10, and I'm trying to get the exact score situation here, they were first up by 10 with 529 to go, and they were up by 10 um, – I guess that was when their lead peaked up by 10. So from that sequence going forward, uh, Villanova actually had the ball up 10 with 4.43 to go, and Ryan Archie Archidiakono turned it over. Uh, Isaiah Hicks got a steal. Then Joel Berry made a couple of free throws to cut it to eight. Uh, Bryce Johnson made a layup to cut it to six after uh, Hicks blocked Ochefu for, for Carolina. Then Phil Booth missed a jumper, which is remarkable because it seemed like he made every shot he took. I guess Bryce Johnson blocked that one. Uh, and then Joel Berry hit a three. So with 3:44 to go, and in, in about two minutes, Carolina cut the lead to three. Then Phil Booth answers with a really tough jumper, one of those sort of patented Villanova fadeaways in the lane, makes it 69-64. Carolina comes down the other end. Justin Jackson misses two huge free throws uh, that would have cut it back to three. But then Jenkins misses the front end of a one-and-one one for Villanova with 2:20 to go. Uh, Carolina is forced to foul again at 152, and this time Josh Hart only makes one of two, so it's 70-62 to 62 Villanova, 152 left. Page, um, with one of, uh, you know, a great play, missed a layup when it was blocked by Michael Bridges, and Carolina had the ball out of bounds and ran a set play for a corner three from Page, which he hit with a minute 30 left, cut it to three. Uh, another turnover off the trap by Carolina. Bryce Johnson scored in the lane to make it a one-point lead with a minute to go. And then a really questionable, I thought, foul called on Isaiah Hicks of Carolina that put uh, Phil Booth at the line where he made two free throws, and that set up uh, another terrific play by Page, who missed a layup, got it back, ripped the ball away, it looked like, from Villanova to score and cut it to one. And then uh, the foul that Carolina gave to Josh Hart with 13 seconds left, and he hit two free throws to set it up at 74-71. So a wild sequence of great comebacks, great plays on both ends, and that's how we wound up with the stage being set for Marcus Page's drama. Um, So let's start here then. When it was a 10-point game when Villanova was ahead, did you sense that the game was over at that point and that it was just a matter of time, given how well Villanova was playing before they were shooting free throws and closing this out in a more traditional manner?
1: It was remarkable just the way that Villanova executed in this game again. And we talked about it after Kansas. We talked about it after Oklahoma. Against Kansas, they played against a veteran senior, one of the best post players left in the NCAA tournament at the time, and Perry Ellis held him to four points on five shots against Oklahoma in the national semifinal. As a team, they put on one of the most impressive defensive clinics we've ever seen, and particularly against Buddy Heald, where the national player of the year, according to the Naismith and to the Basketball Writers Association, he was held to nine points on 12 shots. His season low was six against West Virginia. And then you come around and you go against North Carolina, a team which has a height advantage at almost every position. And you hold North Carolina to 26 points in the paint and you score 32 points in the paint yourself. If not for, as you said at the beginning, North Carolina's kind of remarkable night of shooting from the three-point line, particularly in the first half, this would have been a blowout. I mean, the way that Villanova executed in this NCAA tournament, it's unlike almost anything I've seen. You know, you're talking about, and it'll be compared to the 1985 game against Georgetown, but this is a run of three games, and even going back earlier, but three games against just elite opponents where they have locked down their best players. They have played defense that is at a championship level. I really feel like they deserve to do it, but getting back to your question, which was, did it feel like that this was over? It didn't feel like that. It felt like, and the reason is, you know, you've got Marcus Page on that team, and that guy just looked like he wasn't ready to lose. He wasn't ready to stop playing college basketball, and he showed it just with those unbelievable shots that he was missing. The three-pointer would have gone down in history, but honestly, the thing that impressed me the most was that put-back offensive rebound that he got. The guy who's a six-five guard and just going up against big men and not, not allowing himself to be taken out of a play and keeping his team in the game at the end of it. That was just an incredible performance by Page. He should have... He's going to feel upset tonight, but he should look back, be able to look back and say that he left all of that out on the court.
0: Yeah, no, Marcus Page, uh, someone that we've all watched for four years, um, it frankly was a better player than I ever thought he would become, and uh, it was certainly a tough player. That play where he ripped a rebound away to scoring close and started attacking the basket really throughout the closing minutes of the game, you could see that he just wouldn't lose, didn't want to lose. And He said after the game that he told his teammates, One more stop, and we're going to overtime, and we're going to win this thing. And I think most people probably felt that way. Now, look, Jenkins shot uh, as remarkable as it was. Had it missed and they'd gone to overtime, that's not to say Villanova wouldn't have won. won. They very well might have. But certainly the momentum was on Carolina's side. Um, And, you know, I don't think that the game uh, was uh, won necessarily – or rather lost by Carolina – uh, it was the way you want a championship game to end. It was it was won by a team that had the ball last that made the better play last. So um, Carter, let's uh, you know before we get into um, talking about some of the rest of the things about the game, let's take a quick commercial break and we'll come back and we'll talk more about a thrilling national championship game won by the Villanova Wildcats in Houston. Wish you could catch every Major League Baseball game? Well, now you can. Only T-Mobile customers get a free year-long MLB.TV premium subscription a $109.99 value for free so they'll never miss a game. Hurry and sign up by April 10th to catch any out-of-market game all season long. That's 2,430 games and over 7,000 hours of baseball that will never touch your data plan this season. Thanks to Bin John, only from T-Mobile, you can stream your favorite team's games without using any of your data. Because T-Mobile has you covered, unlike those other guys. So get your free MLB.TV premium subscription by April 10th and catch every moment all season long. Switch to the uncarrier today. And if you're already a T-Mobile customer, sign up at T-Mobile.com slash MLB. Sign up for MLB.tv while on T-Mobile's network. New MLB.tv premium subscribers only. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Binge on available to T-Mobile customers with qualifying plan. Detectable video typically streams at DVD quality. Video from participating services doesn't count against full-speed data on our U.S. network. Third-party subscription charges may apply. All right, we're back on Tourney Talk. Uh, Ted Keith and David Gardner breaking down a tremendous national championship game. You know, Gardner, there's always a rush in moments like this to talk about best ever, you know, most thrilling ever, that kind of thing. Uh, where, You know, what do you think? These were back-to-back shots because I think they go in tandem. That's what makes it so great uh, was that these game? Th- this game had not one but two incredible shots that will go down in history and the one of course at the buzzer to win a championship is the dream of every player who's ever played the sport so um what do you think what was sort of the consensus in the arena among those who were covering it uh if not best college basketball game ever best championship game ever or best championship game ending ever what did you think
1: yeah it was interesting i got to uh talk to hoops wife who is a legendary college basketball reporter everybody who uh Uh, covers college basketball, loves this guy. He's been around for a long time. This is his 44th Final Four, he said. He told me afterwards, and he said it's the best finish that he has ever seen in a championship game. Of course, you just don't really see buzzer beaters in championship games. The NCAA tournament, you think of all these iconic games, and all these iconic buzzer beaters, but the only one otherwise that really comes to mind is Lorenzo Charles uh, in one of the greatest plays in NCAA tournament history. That was a championship game-winning buzzer beater, but this one was, as you said, there's nothing like it because it was two of the most clutch shots that you'll ever see, and they happened back-to-back. Villanova had the ball with four seconds left and had to go across court. And they didn't have to take a three-pointer, but they had to at least get to the lane, at least get fouled, at least get a point on the board. And then Carolina could have even potentially gotten the ball back after that. But then to see Chris Jenkins fire back immediately is interesting. I talked to uh, Villanova assistant Kyle Neptune after the game, and he said that there was no one that any of the coaches would have rather had with the ball at that point than Chris Jenkins, and that's a pretty remarkable thing to say. I think if you're North Carolina, you probably did want the ball in Page's hands or you wanted it in Joel Berry's hands because he was having a pretty hot performance that night. But if you're Villanova, is Chris Jenkins really the top guy on your list, especially with the game Phil Booth was having, with Ryan Archidiacono as your senior leader, with a great shooter in Josh Hart? I mean, they had a lot of options and they all said to a man that they wanted the ball in Chris's hands at the end of the game. For me, it ranks up right up there with the best, you know, Super Bowl and NCAA tournament and NBA finals. I mean, it was just the most clutch thing back to back. Everybody was playing a phenomenal game and it was a really well played game before then. It was very close game. Plenty of lead changes and ties. Uh, Ted, you are the college basketball historian, though. So (laughs) tell me, have you seen something like this? Is this one of the most remarkable championships you've seen?
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know, the couple things that spring to mind, you know, of course, Lorenzo Charles, slightly before my time, but anytime you win a championship on a dunk at the buzzer, that's pretty good and caps an enormous upset, uh, which was NC State beating Houston. That one's tough to top, but it was set up by an air ball. So, right. you know, it's a little bit of uh, tarnish maybe on what's otherwise a great play. And then if you're looking for other championships, you know, no one remembers it, no one talks about it, but. Loyola of Chicago in 1963 won a championship over two-time defending champion Cincinnati on a putback at the buzzer. Uh, the 1957 final between North Carolina and Kansas, I think, is, you know, from a storyline perspective, no one wants to talk about it because it's there's a recency bias in sports. But if you had the two top teams in the country, one featuring the most dominant player in the sport in Wilt Chamberlain, in a game that goes three overtimes... Uh, and is decided mm-hmm. by one point that that's probably the best championship game of all time. If that happened today, we'd all lose our minds um, and probably shut the whole sport down because it would never be top. So that one's pretty good. But, uh, you know, Michael Jordan shot for Carolina in 82 came with 17 seconds left. Keith Smart's shot for Indiana in 1987 came with five seconds left and they should have stopped the clock. Syracuse, but they never called a timeout and they had to inbound the ball with one second left uh Seton Hall had a shot to beat Michigan in the final on the final play in 1989 but they didn't get a good look and they missed uh you know sort of going fast forward Scotty Thurman hit a famous shot to beat Duke in 1994 but that came with about a minute to go and then Duke got the ball back um Arizona and Kentucky played a great game in 97 in which Anthony Epps hit a three for the Wildcats it forced overtime but the overtime itself was not particularly remarkable uh Duke's lost to UConn in 1999 was marked by two turnovers at the end of the game. There was no great game-ending shot, but that was high drama and and a huge upset uh, when that happened. Uh, Just sort of going through the memory bank here quickly. Hakeem Warwick had a block on Michael Lee for Syracuse to beat Kansas in 2003, but even then Kansas had another shot that could have tied or won. Um, Illinois missed a shot that would have tied Carolina in the final 10 seconds in 2005. Of course, Mariel Chalmers shot for Kansas in 2008, but all that did was force overtime. Uh, And the Gordon Hayward shot in 2010 for Butler, sort of the all time what if shot, because that was the perfect Cinderella Hoosier storyline in a game being played in Indianapolis. And you couldn't have scripted a better, um, you know, David and Goliath match than Duke against Butler, but that shot didn't go in. And then uh, the last few years we haven't had a championship final uh, that really went sort of down to the wire in that respect. So, um, I think this one takes the cake because it is – I think if it's remembered as both shots, then it really takes the cake. You know, Jenkins' shot all by itself is is remarkable and deserves to stand alone. But when you package it with Page, now you've got two shots. And that's – I mean, you'll never – unless someone gets three crazy shots in a row, you're never going to top it. Now, the one thing I'll say about Jenkins' shot, um, to just bring it more into the present day, um, Villanova got exactly what I would think they wanted to get you know whether it was Jenkins or not you you know you can sort of argue the point i suppose but uh from a perspective of of uh a, that was basically a warm up jumper i mean from where he took it yeah. on the floor it was about i'm going to guess 25 26 feet away i mean it's not like he shot a running half court heave like gordon hayward did that clanks off the rim in in hayward's case or if this had like banked in or something and you know carolina fans would have been even more beside themselves this was a shot that villanova was capable of getting in that situation. As you said, they had to play for it. They ran it exactly the right way. Carolina obviously didn't defend it very well, but you know, at the end of the day, they were willing to take their chance at Villanova, despite how well they shot all tournament long, was not going to make a shot from 26 feet to win the game, and that's what they did. And uh, it's a heck of a way to win a national championship because Villanova will now, uh, you know, talk about tough to top. How could you top their win over Georgetown in 1985, maybe the most iconic upset in the history of the sport, and they might have just found a way to top it by winning a game like that? Because the Villanova Georgetown game in 85 didn't have that one singular highlight. I mean, people talk about a Harold Jensen jumper from the wing with 2.30 to go that gave him the lead, but there was 2.30 to go. This is at the buzzer to win the national championship, the shot that millions of people dream of taking and making, and he did it for the entire world to see, and he deserves every bit of praise that he's going to get for the rest of his life he'll never buy a meal in philadelphia again uh he's he's carved out his place in the history of sports chris jenkins amazing hats off to him great shot
1: and also i mean the incredible thing was for all of them to say that they wanted jenkins to have that shot and for the play to be designed in part for him to have a look if not you know there were other options on the play but part of it was for him to have a look for art to create space for him and then to flip the ball back to him as he did is a guy who was one for three from the three-point line it's not like he was just making it rain all game it wasn't just this guy who was the hot hand or anything by any means he wasn't even villanova's best offensive player not even their second best offensive player on the game probably you look at phil booth and ryan archidiacno as their two leading scorers and chris jenkins is behind but again a well-designed a well-executed play this was something that they said that they practice every single day a four seconds left end of game situation and it showed that play was executed perfectly. Yeah. And I also really just handed off to Ryan Archidiakono. We've talked about him. We've praised him a lot through the tournament. But I mean, the moxie, the poise, the fortitude to go up and handle the ball. I mean, Chris Jenkins made the shot, but Ryan created the space for him to make that shot. Like you said, it was a warm up jumper. He was wide open because yeah. of the way Archidiakono handled the ball, got his teammate into position. Um, I talked to uh, Seth Davis, our colleague, after the game, and. We were talking a little bit about, do you remember there was this guy by the name of Jay Wright before Hmm. the NCAA tournament began who could never get it past the first weekend of the tournament? He'd only done it once in 2009 and then remarkably kind of stumbled his way into this one. Uh, What does this do, in your opinion, to Jay Wright's legacy? I mean, these were well, well, well well-coached games to finish the season.
0: Well, there's no doubt that Villanova, at the end of the day, was the best team in the country. and. Their their efficiency ratings reflected that their ranking they were number one in the country in mid February reflected that their status as the dominant team in the Big East reflected that that loss to Seton Hall gave people in the, in the Big East tournament final gave people an excuse to say here comes same old Nova paper tiger you know they'll shoot themselves out of the tournament and you know that's the end of them and to their extreme credit, they became a far, far better team in the NCAA tournament than I think anybody expected them to be. That's coaching. You know, you don't shoot 58% game after game after game by accident. He had his guys absolutely prepared. They ran their offense perfectly. They never seemed rushed. They took care of the ball. They got to the right spots on the floor, had the right guys uh, with the ball in their hands when they needed to take shots. And look, they outplayed look at their final stretch I mean forget about the first three games which are impressive enough because they blow out um you know the 15 seed in the first game UNC Asheville I think it was and then Iowa they absolutely you know stomped them in Brooklyn and then they go to the regional and I think I started picking against them every game from that point on because it just it felt like they might be vulnerable against Miami nope handled Miami with ease played Kansas thought for sure they'd lose to Kansas dictated the game on both ends and beat the number one overall seed get to the final four thought they wouldn't be able to handle buddy healed they only win by the biggest margin in the history of the final four and then they get to play north carolina and i thought that they wouldn't be able to match up with carolina inside and uh, on the boards and that that would be enough for carolina to win and instead they limited carolina which had come in shooting something around 64 percent or something from two point range while carolina shot lights out from three which i think stunned everybody the Tar Heels were actually 16 of uh, 46 from inside the arc, and I didn't think they could force Carolina out of its comfort zone that well, but they did. There were no easy looks around the rim. Everything was contested. Everything was challenged, and all that speaks to coaching. So, uh, as far as his legacy goes, anytime you win a national championship, you're in a different discussion. We spent some time this week talking about Roy Williams and what it would be, what it would mean if he won his third. Um, but I don't think we do enough service to, to coaches just for winning one. I mean, there's 351 Division I teams, and you know, I could count off the top of my head if you gave me a minute. How many of them have won even one national championship? That's a heck mm-hmm. of an accomplishment. I and mean, Rolly Massimino, a fixture in the stands uh, for TV cameras to find on this day, won one national championship at Villanova, and he's rightfully so been celebrated for it the rest of his life. And Jay Wright deserves the exact same treatment. He's a phenomenal coach. He's built a wonderful program at Villanova. They are the best team in the country. They deserve to win the national championship. I don't know what his future holds, but no matter what happens from him for him from here or what happens to that program, he'll always be able to point to 2016 and say we did what every team in the country wants to do every year and we pulled it off, and I'm sure he's too humble to take a lot of credit for it, but he deserves every bit of credit that people throw his way.
1: Yeah. And moving to, you know, North Carolina, too, I think there's a similarity between these two teams in the sense of, you know, almost every media member that I talked to over the past couple of weeks had the same thing to say. Uh, You know, these guys are student athletes, of course, Ted, they're amateurs, you know, but these guys are are pros, right? These guys, every single one of them to a man was professional. Uh, was a pleasure to talk to, a pleasure to work with. I mean, these people were willing to answer questions. Marcus Page, to his credit, in what has got to be one of the most heartbreaking, devastating moments of his life, something that he thought that he had taken was taken back from him. He stood up there. He answered every question that everybody had. It's the same way that he was after wins. He was humble. He was uh, giving credit to other teams. And the same thing for Roy. Obviously, it was emotional for him. He was crying in the post-game press conference. But again, uh, these are we lose sight sometimes because of their phenomenal athletic performances, but these guys are 18, they're 19, they're 20, they're 21. They're in the most high pressure scenarios that they've ever had in their entire lives. And they're a- and they're asked to act like adults. Yep. And they have, and they deserve particularly North Carolina. It's easy to be humble in victory. It's harder to be humble in defeat and to recognize what just happened with something was special North Carolina, every single one of them in that locker room, they were hurt as you would expect, but they were, professional they were humble they were kind they were aware of their responsibilities i just couldn't be more proud if i were a north carolina fan or north carolina administrator of the way that my student athletes represented themselves and their university in the game
0: well that's certainly good to hear i mean carolina uh people have every right to be proud of that team uh and proud of those players they did represent the university with great skill with great class uh with great maturity uh, I've been in those locker rooms with teams when they lose, and it's, uh, it's a lot to ask them, as you say. I mean, the emotions of the tournament are unlike anything else in sports, and it is a big difference. You, know, you see people who lose at that age, and then a year later, they're in the pros when they lose. It's not the same thing. There are no tears. It's because it's a job all of a sudden. It, you know, it, Basketball, in some ways, will never mean as much to the players that participate in the NCAA tournament as it does when they're this age and it can end in one game if they played the a best of seven i don't know if villanova would win or north carolina would win uh but you get one game to do it and it, it brings out an awful lot of emotion and i, I respect all the players who participate who were able to as you said handle it and control it well uh all right we need to take another break on the tourney talk podcast we'll be back we need to talk about the entire tournament what a thrill it was uh so stick around we're not going away Have you ever asked yourself why razors are one of the only products in the drugstore that are locked inside a plexiglass case? It's because good razors cost too much. So much that people are more likely to steal them than just about any other product in the drugstore. That's why two guys started Harrys.com. They sell high-quality blades that provide a close, comfortable shave for half the price you're used to. Harrys gives you factory-direct prices. They cut out the middleman and ship their products right to your door. Stop getting ripped off. Harry's starter set is the best option for new customers, and it's a great deal. For just 15 bucks, you get a razor handle, foaming shave gel, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, for listeners of this show, Harry's is giving you five dollars off your first purchase with promo code Turnytalk. Go to Harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and make sure you use code Turnytalk at checkout to let them know who sent you. All right, we're back on the Tourney Talk podcast. Uh, We've been discussing Villanova's epic, soon to be uh, historically uh, uh, memorable and and sort of preserved forever championship game win over North Carolina. But Gardner, this was—you know—a lot of people wanted to say that this maybe redeemed the tournament because it wasn't as thrilling in in the middle rounds as it had been in the first round. Um, You know, I don't personally feel that way. As we've talked about, I love the tournament regardless of what or sort of the outcomes are, I'm watching it. So I don't I don't care what the um you know what the score of an individual game is, I'm still watching it. But I want to take one minute here to say something that I think you agree with. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think you agree with it, but um to all the people out there who love the NCAA tournament, we hope you enjoyed it. It has a tendency to do this every year as you know. But guess what? College basketball does this every single night. Now, whether people want to pay attention in November, December, January, and February, or they think it's all about March is up to them. But thrilling games, battles between great teams that go down to the wire, that have amazing performances by kids who, as you say, are supposed to be amateurs. Uh, This happens with regularity. If you like what you saw in Houston on Monday night, then you will like it just as much when you're watching a game in Lawrence, Kansas, in January, or Lexington, Kentucky, or Des Moines, Iowa, or... Los Angeles, California, or Durham, North Carolina, or anywhere else you can think of. Um, it is the, the NCAA tournament is many things, and it is a testament to the beauty and the joy of college basketball. It does this every year. It does it every March. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I'll miss the season now that it's gone. I'll miss the tournament now that it's gone. So that's sort of my little rant for the night that um, people huh. who say, oh, I love it. March Madness is the best. Well, the sport is the best. It does this all the time, just, you know, Come and come and join the the frivolity. You're you're more than welcome. Starting in uh, next November.
1: It's funny that people think that the you know you hear people say all the time that oh I watch the NCAA tournament but I don't watch the college basketball regular season. Well, where do you think those teams come from? These are the yeah. same teams as to your point that are playing in November. They're playing in December. I mean, you think about. Even going back to the beginning of the season, and I'll just name a few moments off the top of my head. If I sat down and thought about it, I'd come up with 25 or 30 without having to blink. But you go back to Denzel Valentine, triple-double against uh, Kansas and the Champions Classic as a way to open the season. We were immediately talking about this guy as a player of the year candidate. You think about Iowa, Iowa State, the Hilton Magic, that epic comeback that Iowa State had in the beginning against a non-conference rival, an in-state rival. Of course, you go to Buddy Heald and his epic forty-six uh, three 46.3 overtime performance against Kansas, a game in which Jayhawks fans gave him a standing ovation yep. after he, their conference foe, put up 46 points on their beloved team. Yep. I mean, there are moments – Throughout the sport, if you're paying attention, if you love college basketball, there's no reason you don't have to be uh, persuaded to turn on the TV, and you don't have to be persuaded to know that the NCAA tournament is going to deliver the best of those moments in a more compact setting. Yeah, of course, there's more games going on, so you're more likely to have every single thing all at once. But these are happening on daily, weekly basis in college basketball.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, so we're we've done our part now to promote the sport. I uh, we, you know, we both love it. I think the people who've been listening love it. Um, so it's it's uh, you know it's just great. I mean it ne- it is by far I think the most uh, consistently dramatic and exciting sport that there is, and that's why you know I love it so much and enjoy watching it, paying attention to it, and covering it. Um, for this particular tournament, I don't think it needed a great game tonight to redeem the tournament, but it was certainly nice to get a championship game that was worthy of all the attention of seventy-seven thousand people in the arena. We'll see what the TV ratings are. I'm sure they were astronomical. Uh, the reaction on social media from uh, even NBA players all over the world paying attention to this game was really something. So uh, I think it will it will lift the entire tournament in a way that it'll now be remembered as maybe a better tournament overall than it might have actually been. Uh, but that's the power of of drama on the biggest stage. So you know, the elite eight was not as thrilling except for uh, uh, the comeback win by Syracuse over Virginia. Uh, there, you know, there weren't these, the, we had a lot of great matchups I thought in the tournament, but they didn't always deliver the kind of drama we saw on Monday night, but nevertheless, um, overall I would, I would rate the tournament, you know, like a B plus or something like that. I thought it was great. Uh, I don't know what kind of grade you would give the NCAA tournament in 2016, but it seemed to deliver again, as it always does buzzer beaters from Bronson Koenig and Rex Pfluger and upsets from middle Tennessee state to Arkansas, little rock, uh, amazing individual performances buddy healed all by himself josh hart in the national semifinals was another one uh i don't think it i don't think there was any one aspect of the tournament that was lacking and it wrapped up exactly the way you could have asked for with two of the, arguably the two best teams in the country playing a game that will never be forgotten
1: yeah i totally agree i mean it doesn't take more than just that one shining moments montage to realize that you again were witnessing something special that you watched back to Arkansas Little Rock to Giddy Potts of Middle Tennessee the great names as we talked about so many times in the NCAA tournament the Cinderella's didn't last as long as they have in previous years and so that was probably the one disappointment I'd agree with you that it's probably a in the B-plus, A-minus neighborhood. Uh, It's just so funny the way people have these recency biases because you're talking about a historically upsetting, uh, not upsetting, but a historic number of upsets in the first round, and then the second round people are going, oh, it's all chalk. And then you have another great thrilling matchups in the Elite Eight, and it's great teams playing against each other. Then the Final Four, the national semifinals, are kind of one-sided affairs, and people are like, oh, the NCAA tournament, it doesn't deliver. And then you have a historically great national champion game and people remember all of a sudden oh yeah there are all these great games before now
0: yeah no I think that the tournament is no it, it, you know ideally the tournament would have two things it would have upsets and buzzer beaters and drama on the in the first round and ideally the entire first weekend when upsets can still uh, sort of thrill you and amaze you and then it would have a heavyweight battle for the championship that is a great game and people will forget unless they're fans of the individual team or something what happens in the sweet 16 or even the elite eight Uh, But if you deliver those two things on a yearly basis, uh, people will look back and say, "Boy, that was a great tournament. You know, they won't say it's a great tournament because of a game that happened in a regional semifinal. They'll say, remember when Middle Tennessee State beat Michigan State and then Villanova beat North Carolina on the buzzer in the same tournament? So uh, this tournament delivered hands down, did a great job. Uh, All right, we'll take one final break on tourney talk and we'll come back with some early thoughts on next season. So stick around. Baseball is back. The crack of the bat, freshly mowed grass, and summer days spent at the ballpark. If you're not playing FanDuel this season, you're missing out on the most fun a baseball fan can have. On FanDuel, you choose. Do I compete to win cash from fans around the world or start a listener league with my friends? Either way, you get to be the GM. Study the matchups, get your money ball on, and set your winning lineup. Entry fees start at just $1 and there's no season-long commitment. Play for one day or 180 days plus the playoffs. And here's the best part. FanDuel is giving new players their first game risk-free. So here's what you do. Just go to FanDuel.com and enter the code TURNEYTALK. Then enter a FanDuel league or start one with your friends. If you don't win any prize in your first contest, you get that $10 right back to your FanDuel account for more play. That's FanDuel.com with my code TURNEYTALK for a risk-free tournament at up to $10. All right, back on Tourney Talk. I'm Ted Keith, joined by David Gardner, who's live in Houston. Uh, Gardner, the only thing left to say about the 2015-16 season uh, is probably that the 2016-17 season has an awfully tough task to match it or even top it. So let's start quickly with the two teams that played tonight and get your thoughts on where they might be this time next year, Villanova uh, and North Carolina. What do you, what, Villanova, I don't want to use the word repeat yet, because let's let them enjoy this championship for a little bit, but do they have a team coming back you think that is capable of going to the Final Four?
1: Yeah, we were just having this discussion among a few SI writers, and uh, I think the consensus was that Villanova will probably be either the preseason number one, which they deserve based on their uh, performance here tonight, or the preseason number two, because as we'll talk about uh, briefly, I'm sure Duke is bringing in a recruiting class for the ages, a, Uh, Kentucky has not brought in a recruiting class like what Duke is bringing in right now. Uh, And so I think Villanova, you know, they lose Ryan Archidiacono and they lose Daniel O'Shapu, but these are two guys that... uh, were senior leaders for the team, and they were the heart and soul of these teams. Everybody said that, but it's going to open paths up for guys like Jalen Brunson. I don't think that he's going to go to the NBA right now. He might put his name in, but I think he'll end up coming back for his sophomore year. And then you've got a guy in Mikael Bridges who has kind of shown himself to be a blossoming star. Uh, He looks like he's ready to take that next level. You've got Josh Hart who showed that he can be the man on a team this season. So if you're putting together a preseason top five and you don't have villanova in there i don't know what you're paying attention to because you've got a great coach a now proven great coach you can't argue that jay wright is one of the greatest coaches in the sport now actively and then you've got a returning roster and a couple top 100 recruits that are coming in i think villanova is going to be right back i don't know if they'll repeat but i think they'll put themselves in position to be there towards the end of the season and then north carolina i think it'll be a little bit more difficult for them because i don't know who the guy is going to be coming back you'd like to see joel barry step into that place in that Marcus Page role. I don't think that North Carolina is going to lose a ton of people to the NBA draft either, so I think they'll be in good position. Uh, I think they'll lose you know, their seniors, of course, but I don't see a guy in the underclassmen who's going to make the leap to the NBA. What do you see on North Carolina? Well, uh, a
0: couple guys have to decide what they're doing in this new landscape of college basketball with the new... Um, or sort of, in some ways, the old is new again, uh, process where you can test the waters. There's a phrase that I thought we had lost forever, but you can test the waters again. And most juniors, I think, in the sport should test the waters because what do they have to lose? They're going to go in and find out whether they should be invited to a combine and they'll learn what the NBA thinks of them. So with that in mind, I would expect that Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks will test the waters. I don't think that either is in position to be drafted very highly. Now, the last three years Carolina's lost a player to the draft that they weren't expecting to lose um, so it could happen again Justin Jackson is a sophomore and Joel Berry even also a sophomore they might want to put their names in just to see what sort of feedback they get they obviously have dreams of playing in the NBA one season so you know they've been on the biggest stage in the sport now they might as well see if it's worth their time and effort so it's a very big uh, off season for Carolina if those guys come back Carolina's a top 10 team with very little depth We saw how valuable depth was to them in this tournament. Um, If any of those guys leave, that depth is severely tested because they don't have a lot of quality behind them. The misses on the recruiting trail will hurt them. Uh, But if Justin Jackson and Joel Berry and Theo Pinson and Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks are your starting five next year, you're a top-ten team. Um, But as you say, it looks like the best teams in the country are going to be Villanova, Duke, and probably Kentucky to start the season. Uh, which is not that you know unfamiliar. It's, a, it's sort of all the familiar faces. And then we'll have to see who stays and who goes. You know, uh, Just to take a look at the other teams in the Final Four, Oklahoma loses Buddy Heald, so we wouldn't expect to see them back. Syracuse loses Trevor Cooney and could lose Malachi Richardson. Virginia was the number one seed. They lose Anthony Gill and Malcolm Brogdon. Those are two huge losses for them. Uh, a real test of tony bennett's system kansas loses perry ellis and nobody else really wayne selden declared for the draft and check diallo declared for the draft which is sort of a kind of a joke and as we talked about off air um so it'll be a lot of the same familiar faces and they'll all be playing with a goal of getting exactly to the spot where villanova found themselves tonight with the ball and a chance to win the national championship and they pulled it off and and it's uh You know, it's it's one of the things that I think is most interesting about the tournament is that you could look back every year and say, man, you know, what a great year Kansas had. What a great year Virginia had. And they didn't even get to the Final Four. You know, what an amazing year. What a
1: great year Michigan State had. Yeah,
0: Michigan State. They didn't even make it out of the first round. What a great year Oklahoma had. And they're going to be remembered for being on the wrong side of the biggest blowout ever. What a great year North Carolina had. There had been, I think, three other teams in the last 40 years at Carolina that won the ACC regular season outright, the ACC tournament, and got to the final four. And only one team gets to say that they were the national champions and the best team in the sport. That, that team this year is Villanova. Um, and so history will not remember. They'll remember Carolina maybe because they were in this game, but they won't remember Michigan State. They won't remember Virginia or Kansas. Um, and that's that speaks to some ways the cruelty of the tournament. If you played a best four out of seven – Middle Tennessee is not beating Michigan State, and Michigan State might very well have won this national tournament if uh, that were the way it was, but it's not. So that's you take the good with the bad. Uh, we lost some teams early that would have been fully capable of doing exactly what Villanova did, which is cut down the nets. And um, no one, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. No one wants to change the, the format of the NCAA tournament, but um, it, it definitely, and this is what I was going to say about Villanova, is there was some talk before the game about how they they don't they didn't need to win this game. Maybe North Carolina needed to because the standards are different at Carolina, where you're judged by winning national championships, and whereas Villanova, you know, just getting to the Final Four is a remarkable accomplishment. But I think that's you know the more you win, the more people expect you to win, and that's changing a little bit. Villanova now has two national titles. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking of five Final Fours for them, if I'm not wrong. Uh, they, they shouldn't be a program that can just be okay with you know good regular seasons and getting to the Sweet 16 or anything like that anymore. You know, The more success you have, the more people expect you to have success, and, and the more they win and have now, the more people are going to say, for instance, next year if they don't get back to the Final Four, they'll say it was a disappointment. So that's the curse of success. It's the curse of being an elite program and Villanova, if they weren't already, and I think you could make the case that they were, but they belong in that discussion of the elite programs in the history of college basketball now with two national titles, uh, and it, it ratchets up the pressure on next year's team for them a little bit, but I'm sure they'd rather have that pressure of being defending national champions than defending national runners-up.
1: Hmm, absolutely, and I think the conversation uh, between us for this tournament, I mean, it's got to end where it began and where this you know, season ended, which is Chris Jenkins, I mean, this guy, Every single person who's played basketball, who's dreamed of playing college basketball, dreamed of even playing in the pros, has sat in the driveway in front of the hoop or the court in your neighborhood, has counted down in their heads, gone five, four, three, two, one, taken the shot, saw it go in. He's one of the few people that has done that when it mattered most. I mean, an incredible game, an incredible night, an incredible tournament, an incredible season of college basketball. It delivered again this year. And that was no surprise to either you or me.
0: Yep. Gardner, uh we made it all the way through the Tourney Talk podcast and I, I didn't count a single Seinfeld reference from you.
1: Uh I'm feeling so nostalgic right now. Yeah. You know? I, I yeah. don't know I don't even know uh I don't even know you know what? Here's here's what I'll give you, Ted. This is our last Tourney talk of the season and uh you know, Jerry once told Elaine that breaking up is like knocking over a Coke machine. You can't do it in one push, you gotta rock that baby back and forth a few times. <laughs> And then it goes. So we're trying to get off the air, but we just don't want it to close either. We want this podcast, this season, uh, to keep going. The NCAA tournament to be—I'd—I'd be okay if we ran it again. Yeah, let's let's run it
0: back. Let's run it back. Well, you know, there is a chance that we'll have a tourney talk podcast, uh, if not later this week, maybe next week. Just sort of setting up an off season and uh, you know reflecting one more time on what a great year it was. Because you know we've been thrilled. I know David and I both have really been appreciative of the response. to all of you who've listened and who have reached out to us on Twitter and have just sort of made the tourney talk podcast as successful as it was of the most listened to podcasts with regularity in the history of sports illustrated. So uh, we're, we're both very grateful for that. We hope you've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed doing it. And uh, so I won't say that this is the last one officially of the year, because if you guys want it, we'll bring it back and maybe do one more. There's still a lot of business to attend to between now and, uh let's say the end of may between the early entry deadline and uh, a few more awards i think and maybe some coaching moves and all that kind of stuff so college basketball season is over uh but the drama never ends and and if this is the last uh Tourney talk podcast gardner it was a thrill i enjoyed doing it with you i hope you have a wonderful rest of the time in houston and get back uh to the office safe and sound
1: i appreciate it uh, it's been a pleasure as well ted and uh like Ted said, I'd just like to say thanks to everybody who listened. Uh, hundreds of thousands of you guys have tuned in, and we really appreciate it. And we've enjoyed doing it. It's been, uh, it hasn't been, it has even been work. It has been a joy to do. This is what Ted and I do in the office, regardless <laughs> of whether there are microphones on. That's right. We just talk about how much we love this sport, how much we love this tournament. And uh, we are both just going to go up into uh well, Ted's got baseball, but I've got nothing. I'm just going <laughs> to go up into my room. I'm going to go to bed for about – 24 hours and then uh, figure out what life looks like again go. without college basketball.
0: Well, you're always welcome in uh, Planet Baseball. We'd love to have you back. All right. Our thanks always to producer Ryan Krasnu. You can follow David and I on Twitter. I'm at SI underscore Ted Keith and he is at by David Gardner. Uh, if you enjoyed my podcast, I have two others you can listen to uh, The Strike Zone, which I co host with. Stephen Canella, uh, one of the other baseball editors here at Sports Illustrated, and also the SI Vault, our dive into the magazine's archives and a journey through sports history. If you want more basketball podcasts, check out our NBA podcast, Open Floor. And you can find all of the SI podcasts by going to si.com slash podcasts, downloading them from iTunes, or going to Panoply or Stitcher. Thanks again to everyone out there for listening. We'll be right back here with more Tourney Talk next March. Hope you enjoyed the tournament. And congratulations again to the Villanova Wildcats.